All right, here's the quote. Here's the quote. Here we go. God, everybody's good. All right. God is the creator and the starting point. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. He loved us when we were nothing and he'll continue loving us when we have nothing. Our worth is not defined by our contributions or what we've done. It's defined by the price we were bought with. It's defined by the price that we were bought with. What? Let me give you an example. This is an old illustration, but still a very powerful one. If I took this crispy $100. Oh man, young people got excited. 11 and 12s are like. If I took this crispy $100 bill and crumpled it up. Don't get sad. Relax. And I threw it on the floor, and I stepped on it, and I cleaned the floor with it, and I dragged it around, and I crumbled it up and folded it up. Guess what? It's still worth what's imprinted on it. It's still worth what it's imprinted with. Come on, say amen. Listen, I came to tell somebody today, you might feel like you've been through some stuff. You might feel like you, you've exchanged, been exchanged from a lot of hands. You might feel like you've gone through a lot of stuff. You might be beating yourself up. You might be feeling less than because you've been measuring or comparing yourself to others who on the outside might look like they have it more together than you. But I came to tell somebody, your worth is not defined by your likes and your followers or anything you've done or haven't done. You still hold the value of what's been imprinted on you. And the word says that you were created in the image of God and he chose you in him before the foundations of the earth to be blessed, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be adopted, to be saved, and to be sanctified. Say amen. So if you're, just, if you're just joining us, we started a new series last week, and we're going through the book of Ephesians. And, and so I want to call it the First Love series. And, and I want to go through Ephesians like a Hispanic eats chicken. You, you guys know how an old school... You know how old school Hispanics eat chicken? You know what I'm talking about? Like, they... Rip it apart and they get all the meat from the marrow. I've seen old school Hispanic break the bone to eat the marrow. Like, like when they're done, anybody eats chicken like that? That's crazy. That's, that's crazy, right? But, 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 but I've seen it. So, so when a Hispanic's done with the plate, there's nothing but dry bones on that plate. I want to go through Ephesians that way. I want to take all the meat out of that thing. It's a short book. It might take me six years, but it's a, I want to get, I want to have it so that we've eaten every, all the meat in Ephesians. Amen. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm telling you all that because I, I want you to understand there'll be some preaching, some teaching, some, some his, some his history, but it's all important. I think it's all relevant. And if you, you stay with me for the next couple of hours, I, you know, we're, we're going to get something. Amen. So last week we read through and we talked about Ephesians 3, 1 through 10. 
3 to 10. And, and we talked about everything that God has given us and prepared for us. Every spiritual blessing in heaven and how he did all that before he even created us. I, I love that about Ephesians. So before man ever came on the scene to do what he would do to separate us from God, provisions had already been made to reconcile us to God. Before we messed up, he fixed it. God says, I've already chosen to cover the things you haven't even brought to me yet. So let's pick up where we left off. I want to title today's message, God's Plan. All right. I've been, I'll let you know, I've been praying for Drake ever since I started this message. I've been praying that, I've been praying that even today, every time I say God's plan, I pray there's a prayer that goes up to, over that industry and that, and that he would get God's plan. I pray that he would really stop mumbling and get God's plan. Amen? All right. So don't judge me for using that because, because, because it's God's plan. That's what Ephesians is. We're talking about God's plan. Amen? So we ended last week in Ephesians 1, 7, and, and we read there, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So again, it's not anything we did because it was before we were even on the scene, amen? So it's by his grace that we've been forgiven and redeemed and our freedom was paid for. Verse 8, we, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. And we talked about what that mystery was. That mystery is that the sal- salvation and the Holy Spirit in, is, and every blessing here is not only for the Jew, but for everybody. Amen? You get God's plan. I get God's plan. Everybody gets God's plan. So he goes on to say now, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The NIV says to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So, so the word here, Paul is telling us that in God's plan, it's God's plan to bring unity in him and that one day we'll all be united in him. The word says, as every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, we know some of us will be there by choice and some of us will be there against our choice. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now, now there's a school of thought and, that use this scripture. And, and listen, as we go through Ephesians, I'm going to kind of be going off into things because, because I, I want you to understand what people think about Ephesians and what people share about Ephesians, not just what we think. Uh, so, okay, all right. So there's a school of thought that use this scripture that God's going to bring everybody together and that God wants unity in heaven and on earth. There's a school called, the, it's the doctrine of universalism. And so the universal salvation means it's a doctrine that believes in the end that everyone's going to get saved. God will eventually, God is so good and so loving and so merciful that in the end, he's going he's gonna to forgive everybody. Some even believe Satan and the angels. He's going to forgive everybody and everybody's going to be together in heaven. And, and, and can we say, wow, that's so beautiful? It's a beautiful thought. Isn't it a beautiful thought that in the end, God's going to wipe our slate and say, that's it. Forget it. You're forgiven. Say, but I didn't even come. It's okay, everybody. I want everybody to be together. In the end, that's universal salvation. That's a beautiful thought. The problem is this. It's not biblical. We, we get a lot of beautiful thoughts, and we could preach a lot of beautiful thoughts, but 
if they're not Bible, it's pointless. Amen? And, and so a lot of people go off. All right. See, it's great to think that God is so loving and so merciful that he's prepared so much for us. Like we're reading in Ephesians, he's done so much for us. He's not going to send anyone to a place of eternal damnation. And I know, listen, I know people that believe this. And, and, and it gives them the perfect excuse to say, I don't have to be about church. I don't have to live a certain way. I could do whatever I want as long as I'm a good person. This is Oprah, Oprahism. As long as I'm a good person and I live right, then I'm going in too. And the thing is that we measure how we live and our goodness by the world. So as long as I'm not killing nobody, raping nobody, or molesting children, I'm pretty good. And, you know, another Oprahism is all religions lead to God. All religions are to God. Everything leads, and God's going to open up. And, and, and a lot of religions practice this doctrine and have this weaved in. You, you have to see that because some of us come from these backgrounds. Let me give you an example. Um, in a lot of Hispanic cultures, if somebody dies in the family, what do we do for the next 30 days? We, we get together and we pray after the death, Right? And, and, and so for the next 30 days, so the belief is if we pray enough, God will have mercy on the person that passed and they'll get into heaven. Regardless of how they lived, regardless of what they did, regardless if they loved God or served God or accepted God. But if we pray enough for the next 30 days, and then what we like to do with that is we bring that prayer to Mary and ask her to intercede. Anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. All right. Make sure, you know, you got to like, we do? Yeah, we do. That's all right. So, so while that may seem beautiful and even spiritual, right? We're praying for somebody that died and we're praying and we're asking Mary and the saints and we're lighting candles. And while that may seem spiritual, what's the problem? It's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one God, one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. And so that wipes out every saint and their mother along with the mother. So, so we, see, we can't think about the kingdom of heaven like, we, like the kingdoms here that we know. The kingdom of heaven is unlike our kingdoms that we're aware of. The kingdom of heaven is not corrupt. Think about, let's think about this picture for a moment and think about this corrupt system because I want you to see it this way because otherwise maybe you'll still lean towards some of these things. And I'm going to erase that from you. Think about this system. Let's say it's, it's Friday night and we're at one of the Ortiz funeral homes here in the Bronx. And there's 180 people crowded into a room that's meant to sit 30. You've been there, right? And there are Hispanics all over the place. They're outside in the street. They're across the street. They're, they're in there. They're, and, 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 from, and, and so from, from there, the, the person, let's say the person that died was Flacco from Simpson Street. And so, and so after that, people are praying for Flacco from Simpson Street. And, and they get together and they buy the bodega candles, you know those big white candles, right? They sell them at Stop and Shop, they sell them at the bodega now, they, they, they're popular, right? And they sell them at Target now, I saw them at Target. But anyway, so, so they, and they buy these candles and they light these candles and they're praying Hail Marys and Hail Marys, pray for us now at the hour of our death and blah, 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 whatever, whatever. And they're doing all of that. And so the, the corrupt system is this. So now heaven hears these prayers, and, and St. Lazarus, right? Because some of you are rocking on your chain. So let's say he's there, and, and he hears the, pl- the, the prayers, and, and Mary hears the prayer. And so they go to Jesus, and they go, yo, Jay, check it out. 
In a couple of minutes, because, you know, there's a long line. A lot of people dying in the South Bronx. And so in a couple of minutes, Flacco from Simpson Street is going to be at the door. Now, listen, man. I know he wasn't a good guy. Don't even bother looking in the book because his name's not there. These are saints, married, talking to Jesus in the corrupt system. And listen, don't even bother looking in the book. He's not there. As a matter of fact, yeah, he sold drugs to kids. You know, but, but I mean, that's what he did for a living. Things are rough. You know, he had to just, you know, he did what he did, what he did, what he, what he could do, you know. And so, but listen, there's people praying. There are 34 Hispanics in a living room that only sits four people. They're sweating. It's hot. They got no AC. They got candles going. They bought four bodega candles. Those things are going to be lit for a week and a half. And the stench from those candles are coming up to me. And Jay, I know you got to let them in. So I'm just asking you, you know, cook the books. Does that sound possible? Does that make, but isn't that what we're doing? Isn't that what this doctrine is saying? Listen, I know his name is not in the book, but we're going to pray because we got a connection. And so that's going to get us through the, come on, man. John 3, 36 says, he who believes in the son has eternal life. He who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I know that sounds harsh, and I wish I could soften that, but the cross is the ultimate example of how much God loves us and hates sin. He loves us so much, he sent his son to die on a cross. He hates sin so much that he had to kill his son on a cross. He had to die. Do do you understand the severity? I understand there's no corruption in that. There's no other way. There's one way. There's no other way. So save money on the candles and buy the vanilla honey one instead to smell the living room, but not to light to a saint. Okay, amen. I read, it's a, I read someone describe it this way. If God is so loving and merciful, why would he force someone to spend eternity with them who had no desire of even knowing him here? Okay. Anyway, that's a dangerous doctrine, and that's why I'm bringing it up, because it gives people a false sense of security. It lets people think, ah, I'm okay, because if you're at that funeral and you hear the priest, and I've heard this at funerals, I've heard the priest say this, the priest says, listen, we're going to keep praying for him, and God's love is going to chase him. Into, I've heard it myself. I sat there with my mouth open like, what Bible are you reading? Excuse me. So, so it, it lets people, people that sit there and hear that say, you know what? If Flacco from Simpson Street gets in, I'm in. I'm better than him. I never sold drugs. I'm good. Right? And it gives people a false sense of security. They think, I don't have to repent. I don't have to be part of a church. And they even end up mocking the church for that reason. And they stand as mockers of what God loved and died for. Church, listen, you have to be really careful how you feel about the church. Let me, let me talk to you a minute. If you've been hurt by the church, I'm sorry. There's not much else I can do. I'm sorry. The church is imperfect. The people that run the church are imperfect. The pastors, the founders, the planters, imperfect people just just like you. Amen? Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we overlook things. Sometimes we don't. And so let me just say I'm sorry, but you can't, you can't hold on to hurt from the church. You gotta let it go and say, God, uh, this is not, that example was not you. That was a bad example, amen? 
We can't hate the church that God loved and died for and is the head of. God's plan is for all of us to come together to be united as one in him on earth as it is in heaven, holy and without blame. Okay, let's move on. Amen. Ephesians 1.11. We're taking apart that chicken, man. We're in there. I know all of you are going to go have chicken at a bodega at a Spanish store today. Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. I love that word. Again, that's not... In our culture, you know, not too many, we're second, third generation immigrants. We don't, you know, people don't leave us a lot. You know, our, our parents didn't have a pot to pee in, and so sometimes that's all we get passed down, you know. But, but inheritance is a powerful word. Inheritance, if you think about it, the only time people receive an inheritance is when somebody dies. The word says we receive, we've obtained in him an inheritance. That means when somebody dies and names you as a beneficiary. Our inheritance is eternity, it's heaven. Because Christ died, rose again, we live, we have an inheritance because we've been named his beneficiary. Say amen. amen. John tells us in John, Jesus tells us in John 14 too, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and I prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Our inheritance is salvation. Amen? Peter describes this inheritance in 1.4. It's an inheritance that's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be real, revealed at the last time. And listen, when God has named us as beneficiaries, he puts a seal on us and, 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 and gives us this. He names us as beneficiaries and then he guards us in the faith. That's what that word says. So we receive the promise of inheritance by hearing the word of truth and by believing in Christ. Okay, let's move on. Same verse. Ephesians 1.11. Sorry, I'm pressing through, but there's a lot. In him we've obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, if you notice, that's a word that came up last week's verse. And it comes up again in this week's verse. And it should spark your curiosity. Anybody question that? that, that? No, because you're not even listening. Okay, that's fine. Um, predestined. We read last week, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons in Christ Jesus. This week we're reading, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel. Predestined means that he pre-ordered beforehand, he ordained before creation, foreordained us to be in him and to have all these blessings. So wait a minute, let's think about that for a minute. If God prepared in advance, foreordained, predestined, prepared our destiny beforehand, how come we're not all walking in Christ? How come some have turned away, some reject, some mock, some don't even know this, some haven't even heard God's plan? These two scriptures in Ephesians, along with two other scriptures in the book of Romans, are the main uh, basis that another school of thought, which is a part of the doctrine of predestination, and it's known as Reformed theology. Has anybody ever heard of that? 
Let me give you a little history on that because this is important. You need to know this. Back in the late 1400s and early uh, 1500s, when the Roman Catholic Church was kind of the model for the church at that time, they, were, they, were the, they, they had become so corrupt with their practices that they held the authority that came. They were the religious leaders of the time. Back then, you know, there was a time when people actually go to the church and did what the church told them to do. I know it sounds crazy. But there was a time when, when the, the religious leaders of the time were more influential than political leaders or than kingdoms or they were more influential. Unfortunately, at that time, those religious leaders were abusing that power. Read this in your, you know, read it. You can look this up. And so they held authority from religion, but they abused it and they made it so unbiblical it was horrible. They were doing horrible things in the name of God. One of which they were selling forgiveness. Does that sound crazy? Have you ever watched those shows like the Borgias or one of them when they, where they get into it? That's all, that's, that's, that's what has happened. Right? And so they were selling for forgivenesses. They would call them indulgences. And so people who had money only, obviously, because the poor couldn't do it, people who had money could buy indulgences. They can buy forgiveness. They can buy early entry into heaven. People were selling that. Not people, the church was selling indulgences. They were selling forgiveness so that you could live any way you want. As long as you bought forgiveness, you're good. How corrupt is that? That, that's what was going on. And so what's even sadder is that, that, the, that the church is still known by, by men instead of, of God. And so people like Martin Luther and later John Calvin fought for reform. And they, they fought to reform the Catholic Church. They, were, they, they wanted reform. They said, this can't continue this way. This is wicked. This is, this is not good. This is not what the Word says. This is not what the Bible is about. This is not who God is. And so they were eventually excommunicated by the Roman Catholic Church. They, they, uh, uh, um, Luther went to Germany. He translated the Bible into German. Calvin went uh, the French way and translated the Bible. See, back then, the Bible was only written in languages that the common man couldn't understand. So that's why the leadership had so much power because we understood it. You can read it for yourself, so you only know what I tell you it says. So when the Bible started to be translated to where we can read it, people were saying, hold up, where's that in here? Amen? The problem and the sad thing about our society is that we have it in every language, every edition, and we don't read it. We still listen to people tell us what it says. And so what happened here is ultimately... <laughs> um, they, they, they went different, and they, they couldn't stand for the teacher. So ultimately, today, we have Lutherans, and we have Calvinists because of what we just read. But now, last week, we talked about 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul was telling the church at Corinth, you guys are still so worldly because you call yourselves by men's names. You, you say, oh, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of... And, 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 uh, Paul was telling the people, no, you're worldly. Men are just servants. I, Paul plants the seed, Apollos waters it. It's only God that can make it grow. He's saying, don't call yourself by men. Call yourself by me. 
Amen? You're Christians. You're people of the way. You're Christ followers. You're not Lutherans. and You're, you're not Calvinists. You're not, man is nothing but a servant, right? So, so while the Reformation was a needed thing, these practices had to be addressed because people weren't still being led astray by false doctrines. They chose to oppose at that moment. Now, let's fast forward. Reformed theology has brought its divisions and its mixed doctrines into the church that affect us today. You still with me? All right. So people say, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Calvinist, I'm a five-point Calvinist, I'm a four-point Calvinist, because Calvinism has five points. I don't have time to get all in, into all that, but I'm going to show you something. So Luther defined predestination, that word that's in our scripture, Luther defined predestination as God willed who will be saved. So God chose who was going to be saved, but he left everybody else to kind of figure it out for themselves. Calvin interpreted, Calvin came 26 years later. He interpreted predestination to mean that God willed salvation for some and damnation for others. Listen to me, this is really important. Please just press in a couple more minutes. So, so God chose before the beginning of creation who will go to heaven and who will go to hell. So in other words, this doctrine is saying God has already chosen some for heaven and some for hell, and you have no choice in the matter, no matter what you do. Does that sit well with anybody today? When I put it that way, that might sound ridiculous to some of you, but I need you to understand that this is the belief of many of the preachers that you guys are quoting. This is the belief of many of the preachers that you're listening to online. And, and, and even many scholars which we study today are, and are taught in our Christian institutions, though definitely not all, but many. And I think it's a dangerous doctrine. Now, most of the men, listen, and here's my disclaimer. Most of these men are much smarter than me. They're much more educated than I am. Can, can I, can I, I, let me just come clean with you. I didn't go to Bible college. I don't have a master's in divinity. And so these men are much smarter than me. The only qualification that I'm comfortable to stand on is that God says he'll use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And so I qualify. As a foolish thing, I qualify. So I wrestled with whether to bring this up or not, but, but the word predestination only appears four or five times in the scriptures, and it appears twice here in Ephesians. And so if we're going to tear apart our chicken and get to every, every little bit, then, then I can't overlook that it says predestined twice and none of you raised an eyebrow or sent me an email about it. I have to let you know. Let me open this up. It's, it's a can of worms that I'm opening up. But I said, if I'm going to really to get in there, if it's in Ephesians, I feel obligated to present to you what people believe because of Ephesians. And... I'm going to present to you what the Word says, and you can decide what you want to decide. I, I felt if we're going to go through Ephesians, I want to wrestle with this thing. And as your pastor, I think it's important that you know where you stand, where we stand as a church. Amen? Maybe this isn't the church for you. I, I want you to know where we stand as a church on these beliefs. Church, this is why we need to read the Word and be students. Say amen. Because eternity is too long a time to not be important to us. To not get serious with. You can't have a relationship with a God you don't know. 
You can't let, here's, and this is crazy coming from a preacher, you can't let what you believe be told to you by somebody. Because then it's the best speaker who wins. It's the most entertaining or the most influential that gets to form your theology. And can I tell you, family, that's lazy. Not only is that lazy, the best speaker might not be the one speaking the truth. Callaito. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul was talking about teachers even back then. <laughs> he was talking about teachers who had departed from the truth and were teaching falseness and how their teaching spread like, king, like gangrene. And he says in 2.15, Paul tells Timothy and us, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Family, I don't ever want you to look at church or going to church as fire insurance. What does that mean? Some people think if I go to church on Sunday, I knock that checklist off and I'm good. But, but it, 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 it's, like, it's like this. It's like, you know how if you know a police officer or a detective, they give you one of those cards? You know what I'm talking about? Right? I mean, let me just drop this. There are like 10 law enforcement officers here, and I still don't even have one card this year. But whatever, whatever, whatever. That's not important. Whatever. Let's just say they all showed me love and they all say, hey, you're my pastor, I love you. Here's a card for, for 2018. Let's just say. Right? And let's say they, 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 so I have 10 of these cards, right? And, and if I went and really broke the law, let's say I went and broke the law and a, and, and a police officer stops me and I whip out 10 of these cards. Pick one. I got sergeants, detectives. Pick one. What is he going to tell me? Sir, put your hands behind your back. Amen? So the, the cards are a nice to have. Church is a nice to have, but you need a relationship with God is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> I love you guys. Philippians 2. Philippians 2 tells us, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Hold up. We just read in Ephesians that that was God's plan from the beginning, that he chose us to be holy and blameless. He predestined us to be adopted. So why is Paul telling us to do things so that we can become blameless and pure? Are we digging in now? You with me? Why does Paul himself say that he can become disqualified from the prize if he doesn't choose daily to be self-disciplined? 1 Corinthians 9. What we see here and what we see throughout the rest of Scripture from the beginning to the end is that although He has predestined us for adoption, although He has uh, um, ordained, foreordained us to receive an inheritance, He's named us as beneficiaries since the beginning of time, as it says in Ephesians, He's also given us the freedom to choose Him. 
Here, here comes the problem. He's given us free will. We see that from the very start of creation. He tells Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you shall surely die. What is he saying? I've given you a world full of pleasures, of taste and sight and sound and smell and feel, and nerve. Uh, can, can you imagine, like, the origin, the original, how God created and what he had for us? I've given you this, a, a, a place of pleasure for you, to have everything you want. And, I, and if you choose to see that, that I'm a good father, I'll continue to bless you, and I'll keep you, and I'll provide for you, and I'll, I'll be united with you, but only one tree is forbidden you. My plan, God says, is that you would be fruitful and multiply, that you would be holy and blameless. That's my will, that you would receive an inheritance, that you've been named as my beneficiaries. By the way, I believe this scripture clearly says that we've all, somebody say all, we've all been named and predestined and chosen for salvation before the beginning of the earth, created in Christ Jesus. If you choose that one tree, God says, you're rejecting me. And you're rejecting everything that I have for you. Let's go deeper. Reformed theology, Calvinism teaches. First of all, one of the doctrines of Calvinism is total depravity or total inability. So that says, because there's no good in us, and we would never choose God on our own, it also teaches that, that so, so it's saying that we can't choose God, because we're too evil. And it quotes scriptures. Yeah, the word says there's evil in our hearts. Yeah, the word says there's scriptures behind everything. It's not a, a plain belief, but you have to see scripture in its entirety. And that's why we're going through Ephesians, but we're dealing with all these other scriptures, right? Because it, they connect. They inter, you can't take a truth, well, you can't pick something, you have to... Believe the whole thing. Okay, so, so the uh, total depravity says there's no good in us and we would never choose God on our own. But it also teaches the doctrine of irresistible grace, which means if God chooses us, we can't refuse. That his grace is irresistible. So if God chooses you, you can't say no. That's the doctrines of, of Calvinism. Irresistible grace. But we see all throughout scripture, God saying to his creation, you can choose all that I have for you and you can walk in my plans for you or you can go after the other fruit. You can hang out by the other tree. You can do the other thing. You can go the other way. You can have that other idol. You can have that other thing that you would set up and make your own God. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life. Joshua 24 says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. The question is, is, is it God's plan and will that we would all be saved? Can I clear that question up? Ready? John 6, 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. God's plan. 
1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God's plan. 1 John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God's plan. 2 Peter 3, 9. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all, say all, should reach repentance. God's plan. 1 Timothy 2, 3. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's plan. 2 Peter 3, 9. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's plan. Clearly, if it was solely up to God, if God had taken that choice out of our hands, then no doubt the whole world would be saved because that's clearly what God wants. Right? Reading these scriptures lets you know exactly what he wants. He wants that nobody should perish. He wants that nobody, that everyone would come to repentance. Some of you might have been judging me for the tattoo on my arm. It's a, it's a picture. It says, God so loved the world. Yeah, you were judging me. Right? It's scripture. John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his son. That whosoever, is anybody a whosoever in here? That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have it. So clearly by these scriptures and many others, there's more. I didn't give you all of them. It appears that the true meaning of Paul in this verse in Ephesians is that God predestined every man ever born to be a Christian. To be a follower of Christ. Everyone to have a destiny and a plan who was in God's original purpose before the world was, making Paul's word here in Ephesians predestined to be exactly correct and appropriate. So scripture teaches both divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Can we look at the choice for a minute? Ezekiel 18.32, for I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. And live. Romans 10.9. Calvinists hate this because it's, it's, it's us giving us authority to. But Romans 10.9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who come to him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Come on, worship team. Can we... Can we, can, we, can we just stand? Come on. Let's stand. And, and, and I want to end uh, a little differently today. I'm not going to call the prayer team. I'm not going to. I know this was a lot to take in. I know some of you fell asleep. I know it felt like history class. I'm sorry. 
But hopefully, like another time, you can listen to it online and listen to it in chunks. So that guy talks too much and too fast. But I hope that I'm able to present a case to you so that you would make your own decisions and avoid false doctrines. At the end of the book, what's the last book in the Bible? All right, amen. That one we know. Revelations 22, 17 says this. Let's bow our heads for a minute. And this is going to be the call right now. Right now. We're not going to waste time. We're not gonna, I'm not going to beg and plead. I'm not going to give. This is it. Revelations 22, 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who's thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost, let him come. And so as we worship quietly for the next couple of moments, I don't want the prayer team up here. I don't want nobody laying hands on anybody. I don't want nobody touching anybody. I'm going to invite you, if you're thirsty and if you're hungry, to come. could have made this decision a long time ago, not been walking in it for a long time, this could be the first time you're hearing. But the message of Ephesians, the message of the gospel is that God decided before you were even created to love you, to set you apart, to set you up for an inheritance to bless you. Now we might have messed that up royally. We might have blown that a long time ago. Most of us started lying when we were two years old. As soon as we started speaking, we learned how to lie. And some of us haven't stopped since. God is saying, even before You decided to bring it to me. I've already covered it. I've already paid for it. And I've already predestined you to receive my love and to walk in it. To be forgiven. To be redeemed. Redemption means to have your freedom paid for. Somebody today needs to know your freedom's already been paid for. And so if you're thirsty, come. And if you're hungry, come. And if you need to make that decision today, come. And I'm giving you my word today. Nobody here is going to touch you. Nobody's going to lay hands on you. Nobody's going to pray. Unless you want that, then you can go and seek that. But right now, this is a you moment. This is a me and you moment. Me and God moment. I'm thirsty, God. I want more of you. I've screwed up my life, God. I want I want to get it right. I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to receive your love. Stop being stubborn. Get up and come.
We're not here to judge you. We're here to love you. Choose life. As we worship, I'm just going to let you wrestle with that.
Come on, just sing out to him now. Oh, what a Savior say. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before him. Yes. For he is Lord. all you guys that came up, even in the congregation right now. The Bible says the light came into the world, but the, the world didn't come in because they loved darkness. When you came to the front today, you, you, you're saying to God, I don't love darkness. I don't love the things of the world. I don't love the things that I do that's of the world, but I choose light. So the Father opened arms to you, welcomes you into the kingdom of God today. As you step forward and you say, yes, I don't want no more of this darkness. I want to receive your goodness. I want to receive your light. I want to see the treasures in heaven. I want to see everything you have for me. God says it's yours today. There is no condemnation over you today. There is no judgment over you today. It's now you receive your inheritance that God has for you. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Despite everything you did, everything you went through, everything you said against God, everything you, you, you turned against God, everything that you decided in your sin and you thought it was hidden, when God sees you and he didn't judge you and he didn't harm you, God said, I write your name today in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you receive your inheritance today. You receive your inheritance today. You receive your inheritance. Your name is written in the book. You receive your inheritance, your inheritance, your inheritance. Anyone that's in there that has said, I don't like darkness, but I receive the light. You receive your inheritance today. And the goodness of God is upon you. So now your journey begins. I don't care how long you've been in God. I don't care how long you've been coming to church. Your journey begins today. The path is open for you. Provisions, blessings. They're open for you. All the things that were robbed for you, all the things that, that sin that holds you bound and tells you can never be free from this. God said on the cross, I free you from that today. So now when you read the word and you seek out the Lord and you hear the word of God, you hear the goodness of God, it washes away all that doubt and all those fears and all those things that try to hold you and say, I'm still not good enough. I'll never be good enough. The word of God will wash that away. All that doubt, all that fear, all that confusion. 
And all you be doing is living in the light. Like I said, when, st- when we stand up here, we got these lights shining in our face. It's almost, be- it's almost like annoying sometimes. But that's how God is. Not that he's annoying, but he's always on you no matter where you at. No matter what situation you go through. No matter how things get hard. No matter you enter into a place where you know darkness awaits you. The light shines in that area now. Because you said no to the darkness. You said, I don't choose that no more. I don't want that no more. It's no good for me. It makes me depressed, frustrated. So today, receive the goodness of God. Sister, receive my brother, my brother. Receive it, my brother, my brother, my sister, my sister, my sister. My brothers, my sister, receive the goodness of God today. When we was in darkness, before we came to Christ, all of us, before we came to Christ, a lot of times we didn't want to come. We said, oh, it's judgment, or oh, it's confusion, or oh, they're hypocrites and all this nonsense. That's the nonsense we say, right? Sorry. <laughs> said all these things that we doubted God but what we were doing all this time was hiding from God in fear of our, our sin will be exposed and we be condemned and we be embarrassed and we be judged but that's not that's not God's will for us he didn't come into the world condemn the world but that the world be through him be saved so I don't know, the decisions that y'all guys made today is awesome. And the decisions you guys are going to make tomorrow. But can I say something? We always talk about the world. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. I don't know what tomorrow holds for any of us. I'm not saying I'm wishing no death on nobody. But we don't know what the next step of our life goes. A lot of times in sin, I, I, this has been wrestling with me about this sin thing. We, rest, we play in sin and we almost have that Calvinist and that tech mentality. But it doesn't worry. Eventually in time, because of my parents' prayers and because I served God at one point, eventually things will work out for me and I'll get back to Christ. Who said that? The word don't say that. Today is a day of salvation for you. Today is a day of salvation for me. I can't wait till tomorrow to get things right or to serve God in order to see things good in my life. Today is the day of salvation. Can I say something? <laughs> we're supposed to be encouraging people. Can I say something? As a church, as a body that loves Jesus, we will not condone sin. But we will give you the light, the way to go, to the answer to receive forgiveness of sin. And receive redemption from sin. And receive the goodness of God because of our sin. Because of the washing of our sin. God loves you. He don't desire for us to be in that darkness. Come into the light. Come into the light like they did. Come into the light and receive the goodness of God. I, I tell you one thing. My words don't mean nothing, but I tell you the promises of God are true for us, y'all. The best thing we do is, is not heal the sick and all that stuff, but that our names are written in the book. So I can do all these things because I'm in Christ now. So today, receive the goodness of God, y'all. Receive the goodness of God. That sin that holds you bound, come into the light and it'll help you break those chains that you cannot break on your own. The things that you go around in circles trying to fight and trying to defeat, come into the light today. Amen? Welcome into the kingdom of God. If you've been here long enough, welcome into the kingdom of God. My brother, welcome. No matter how long we serve God and we know about it, welcome into the family as well. Amen? You want to sing? Come on, I thought she was going to sing. Wow. You guys want to celebrate a little bit before we leave this place? Even though the sun is, uh, sun is not out, but the sun is in here, right? <laughs> this is my celebration song because it just, it just speaks of just how good God is. Only King forever. You guys know that song? 
Let's do it. Oh, wow. God is good, man. You know? I came in feeling a certain way, now I'm leaving like rejuvenated, restored, right? Hey, hey. Come on. Come on, put your hands up. We lift our banner high. 
to you, Lord, today, O oh God. But Father, we leave this place even more encouraged, O oh God, knowing what the truth is and knowing that the truth will set us free. Knowing, Father, that there is a purpose for our lives, Father, but if we choose it, and today we choose God's plan. <laughs> and whatever your plan is for our lives, we surrender to it today, O oh God. Because we understand that even in the rough part, you are with us, oh God. Even in the good times, you are with us, oh God. And there are going to be some times where you're going to have to carry us, Lord. But we're determined to reach the goal, oh God. So, Father, there's a promise that you've made to us that if we seek you and your kingdom, that you would add everything else. But all we really want is you. All we've ever wanted was you. All we've ever needed is you, Lord. And to be in your presence for eternity, Father, the world could have everything else. They could take the things that, that canker worms can eat away, Father, the things that spoil you, the things that rot. But we want you, Lord. We want to be with you forever. So, Father, accept us today, Lord. We renew our commitment to you today, O oh God come into our lives be the lord over every aspect of our life today oh god we know that we can't make it without you and we've tried and we've tried and we've come back to this place this one thing that never changes and is that your unconditional love it brings us back and back to you oh god and we always find you with arms wide open lord willing to accept us back in so father embrace us allow us to come back home allow us to live in your presence in your shelter forevermore you are blessed continue to be a blessing a wonderful week bless somebody on the way out God bless you